if you ever wanted to scream the classic Rodney King line, why can't we all just get along? It might have been in church. Today, Crazy Church Boards with attorney William Larson. Welcome to Church Hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality with a dash of recovery thrown in. If you've ever had questions about the jerk, maybe a bit jaded in your attitude towards religion, well, you've come to the right place. Our host, he was an honors philosophy student, ordained a Presbyterian minister, planted three churches, taught at a prestigious university, but now, now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits asking the question why. The host of Church Hurts and Dr. John Bash. Crazy church boards. Did you ever take civics or political science when you went to school? Part of basic education is learning how people have tried to organize themselves to get along in this world. Who can tell whom to do what, why, and how? A few forms of government might stir the cobwebs in your brain. Democracy, communism, socialism, monarchy, theocracy, totalitarianism. Now for the pop quiz. Describe each in a few sentences and then explain why you think one is best. Now, wait, let's get a little more practical. With a bit of thought, we realize that nations aren't the only things that need to be organized and governed. Schools do too, and corporations, and states, and even homeowners associations and families. Oh, that's right. And churches too. Uh-oh. If you ask people who've been hurt by church somehow what it was that hurt them, it won't be long before they are talking about church leadership and church government. If you care to know, it's a subcategory of ecclesiology, a big word for the study of church. They might not use the word government, let alone ecclesiology, but that's what they're talking about. Leaders, pastors, priests, elders, deacons, all referring to roles in church government. And wow, they sure have the capacity to mess things up and make one wonder if common sense has been banned from the church boardroom. Let's find out a little bit more about this from someone who just might know, a practicing attorney who sat on more than a few boards. Let's welcome William Larson to Church Hurts and Bill, good to have you here. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Bill, I want to start out with something a little bit different. Let me just try to describe church authority structures in like a kindergarten way. And you correct me if I got it wrong, because it confuses a lot of people because churches are different. So I'm going to say at the top, you got the top-down authority structures. You got the Roman Catholic Church. And at the very bottom, you have total congregational churches where one person, one vote. And everybody else is something in between with different names for them, right? So you have some who have, they call it a session or a board of elders or a board of deacons or a vestry. Is that kind of accurate? Well, yeah, you have um, in the Protestant world, you have as many types of organization as you have small groups of people. You know, we, we become pretty 
we're we're anarchistic without admitting it. You know, if we don't like how this church is working, well, we'll just start a new one. That doesn't happen in the Catholic Church or in the Lutheran Church. You know, a hierarchical church, but it happens often in various forms of the Protestant Church. Well, you say don't admit it. That certainly was what Rome said to Luther, and that that was what was going to happen. That if you split like this, there would be a million splits and all these structures. But but getting getting less theoretical in a way before we, before we jump into anything too intellectual about this, you've been involved in some boards yourself and some um, churches, and you really care about this issue. Uh, tell me about some of the nutty things you've seen in church boardrooms that, that make you able to help others when they say, what do we do? Because it gets down to legal stuff, doesn't it? Well, you know, I I think it gets down to, we tend to think of legal things as controlling and society as being affected by the legal. In reality, I've discovered through long experience and association with activist lawyers that law is actually downstream of culture. The purpose of law is to protect things and to give us boundaries to know how far we can go in our evil without getting thrown in prison. You know, what, are, how, what is the least amount we have to do in order to not get in trouble? Ideally, the law is like the shell of a crab. It provides the protection for the exact shape of the crab. But when it doesn't grow to fit the life, then, of course, the, the crab would be Killed by its own shell. It has to shed the shell, and then the shell conforms to that life. But I've seen, I've seen uh, people take control of boards, strong personalities who are control-oriented or who are insecure. I've seen what happens when a person who is outwardly wanting power but inwardly is um, and not not an outgoing person. You know, they're more an introvert, and they. Um, offload their authority and their information gathering to somebody who is a power accumulator and they get the voice of the leader. You just see every combination of human weakness played out in perhaps caricature form in a board of directors, I think. So essentially, I mean, essentially what you're saying, no matter what you want to call it, um, any authority structure, when you get the people, in this case, we're just saying a board, when you get a bunch of people in a board, they're going to start manifesting personality issues, whether it's in regular government or in church government or in your homeowners association. So you get just people dynamics playing out no matter what your, what your structure is, right? Well, yeah, people... Um forget what the purpose of the board is and they forget what the purpose of the organization is. And so the, the, the board membership and the power structures and the politics become an end in themselves. It, this happens in government as well. Bureaucrats have an incentive to keep their jobs secure. So bureaucracies tend to grow and strengthen. And the same thing on a board, people want their, often they can be tempted to want their position to be secured their power to be secured, their voice, their viewpoint to be secured. And so they become grudging listeners and, and very focused on themselves. This is not to indict everybody in a board. Some very, very fine people work on boards and very fine people understand what it is they're about. But, you know, it's, 
they're like the wheat and the tares. So, so there, there seems there has to be some rules then that moderate, just like you say, laws or in the laws, we kind of figure out, okay, what can we do to get by in this world without ending up in jail? Right. Without getting in trouble. Um, a board is the authorities here. They're setting the rules or they're making the decisions. What rules do they need to live by in general, no matter what kind of church it is that are going to make things a little bit healthier? Because what is, what is typically a church board responsible for? Let's just ask you that. Give us the generic job description. Well, their responsibility is to manage the accountability structures within an organization and to follow the purposes of the organization. So they and I on finances, they, they hold the, the, their employed CEO accountable and other employed officers. That's the role of a board in any organization, whether it be a for-profit or a nonprofit, a church. But I think that the board needs to uh, understand whether it's a management board or a policy board. In other words, whether it's operational or strategic. An operational board can get into tremendous trouble because individuals become liable for their actions if they're undertaking activity with the organization rather than simply leadership and advice, You know, the, the strategic viewpoint, uh, reminding the organization of what its ultimate purposes are, holding accountable on that level. But doesn't, for the average person who's experienced church boards, doesn't the issue often come down to how that board relates to the senior minister, the senior pastor, the preacher in a Protestant connection, something you don't have so much in the Roman Catholic Church because the authorities were the priest, right, and those who were over the priest. But in a, in a Protestant church, whether it's, you know, Methodist or Baptist or Episcopalian or whatever, it's the relationship that the board has. The pastor usually is part of that board in some way, but the person is getting upset is because the board like let the pastor go or something like that. Right. Well, it's, it's unfortunate that our human weaknesses and our self-centeredness enter into much of decision-making, but you know, if, if people forget what the board is supposed to be and they forget what the church is supposed to be, you know, I'd like to talk about that, if not here somewhere. And if they forget how the board is to be constituted and what are the standards and the character values and the Christian values the board should be living by in a church, then they're going to just get into politics. They're going to think of the board as basically the, um, the, the um, functional strategic side of a business organization whose job is to be profitable and bring money in. That is not what the church is. And when we forget that, we just become a business organization and we lose track. Of I, I used to um, say to people, you know, people say, well, the church is just a business. And I would say, well, the church is at least a business. Um, hopefully it's a whole lot more because it's usually their bylaws and their structures. So it has a business structure, but it's called to be more. Tell me about that in light of, you know, you have your law degree, you're an intelligent person. You've done a lot of reading. Why, why are you involved in the church anyway? We live in a day where people thought, you know, that's church things kind of passe. How did, how did you ever get into it? Because you really believe this stuff. You're just not doing it because it's a nice thing to do, right? Well, yeah, my, um, 
I have a bachelor's degree in theology and missions, and I've been overseas many years ago. Began to realize that traditional missions and traditional church activity often did not connect with people living their real lives. People doing their work Monday to Friday would look at the pastor or the missionary who's being supported by some mysterious um, benefactor across the sea or within the church context, the mysterious, how well are our fundraising efforts and our donations doing? And the person living a daily life looks at that and said, well, you don't understand me. So I began to look at um, whether there is another pathway than traditional missions. That's when I got into law and I started to look at is business as mission. Eventually, I, I was a mentor to CEOs. I worked with the Convene, um, a mentoring organization, and began to realize that every aspect of our life needs to be integrated with faith and a biblical worldview. And it's not just, this is not standing up to impose my morals on others in society. This is, am I really going to live as a part of a loving community? And am I going to be radical myself and honest with myself? Mm -hmm. am I, is it going to be a daily thing? And so the board of directors really needs to be helping the church to see how to connect whatever organizational structures are in the church with real life. You know, the, the, the board is to, to oversee the process of what a church really is. A church is, has a business aspect to it, but only to the extent that individuals do. But it's a community of loving disciples, or, which means learners, and it's a community of love and hospitality. The city set on the hill, salt of the earth. Disciples are simply people who have turned in one direction and are following the, the truth and hungry for the truth. The board has to exemplify that. They need to be the most teachable, the most apt to be mentors. Because an organization that is supposed to be a mentoring or loving organization, salting the earth, if they have a board that just looks at it as a business and who do not themselves understand mentoring, that organization cannot grow bigger than the board conceptually and practically. Let me um, ask you actually to switch hats. Since you know a little something about what the Bible has to say, we don't just have to talk generically in terms of what people have done. The Bible gives some pretty direct instructions on what leadership in the church is supposed to be like. And basically, we hear uh, we have different words used, but bottom line, you have um, elders that are supposed to be over the church, and you have deacons who are supposed to be serving the church. And some people get confused. I think it's funny because you have whole denomin denominations named after the Greek words. So pres presbyteros is the elder in the New Testament, out of which we get Presbyterian. Um, episkopos is basically an interchangeable word from which we get Episcopalians. But it's funny in the Greek, they're interchangeable. We have total different denominations. And so it seems to me there's really two offices we see, right? Elders and deacons. Is, is that the way you see it? Well, uh, deacons were uh, came into being when the widows were being neglected. The ones who couldn't work were elderly and, and other needs in the church. And so the, the early church leaders said, we, we need people who are very practical and sound and can help, especially. This is one area where the church has, um, as an organization, can do things. You can 
you aggregate resources in a group more than you can aggregate them in random individuals. So the group can pool its resources and say, we want you to serve in this way to help other people. But the deacons were very much a, a practical, loving, oriented, you know, feet on the ground, food at the table, arm, arm of encouragement group of people. And if we've I think that we we need to keep that loving ministry at the heart of what we view that the deacon was in the early church. We've transmuted a lot of terms to mean so many different things by connotation and denotation and application. Our modern churches in all of their many different practical and legal structures, they don't really resemble that early church very much. But that doesn't say that we can't resemble the early church in our attitudes and understanding what we should be modeling and mentoring as leaders in the church on a a personal basis and in a group basis. Mm -hmm. And we tend to institutionalize things that ought to be the responsibility of everybody. You know, Paul said the the work of ministry was to equip people to minister. And in, in reality, the modern church is looking at, oh, what do you, if you want to serve around here, Oh, work in the children's department, help park cars, be an usher. Well, that has to do with large organizations handling people just like a corporation or an an event arena. Hmm. You know, that's not the church. That's just one way that people tend to get together. The church at its heart is this caring and mentoring of people, one-on-one, two-on-two, five-on-five, and being salt in the earth. I just, I want to mention, I, for a full time, my living, I help pastors and church leaders with an organization called Standing Stone. And I know you're familiar with it, but we help those people who really, I consider to be the frontline workers in the spiritual world. And they navigate and are asking these questions themselves all the time, sometimes caught up into it in ways that they just need to they need to talk about and process it. And so, and so I do that. And, and, and I love these people who are, are serving and yet who struggle with the normal uh, traumas of church. If you would like to be part of that, and, and you know that those uh, uh, pastors, missionaries, others who are trying to do this um, do uh, need support, I'd encourage you to go to churchhurtsand.org and uh, hit the support button, and it takes you right to uh, my Standing Stone page, and we'd just love to have you on that support team. And um, So you've seen both sides, and you have a heart, Bill, for uh, pastors sometimes themselves who are hurt by the very structures that they're part of. Tell me about that. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been in churches that went through a split, and sometimes um, one of the pastors and a larger pastoral staff becomes the victim out wondering what to do next and hurt by it. Um, and, and, and often the cause of that is pride and controlling a kind of a controlling attitude on the part of a pastor whose, whose great authority and whose popularity has gone to his head. Mm-hmm. So maybe if a person becomes a talking head and a, and a controller of people, They've lost their ability to be a real minister and a, and a mentoring leader. Even a person who's a teacher is basically mentoring a larger group of people, but they're still supposed to be modeling and mentoring even in that larger context. 
Isn't the trick that balance between we're talking about leadership and boards and reality is the Bible talks about servants, uh, the, the first are to be last. Uh, the, the hallmark of a Christian leader is that they are uh, Jesus, the ultimate model who laid his life down. The shepherd is the word that is used uh, for these leaders in the Bible. Um, shepherd, a shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. Um, and yet the leadership responsibility, um, particularly being under the spotlight, can go to people's heads and, uh, and it can get messy, right? Yeah, people, people don't really like to be, you know, and I think sometimes we confuse humility with humiliation. To be humble is not to be humiliated. It's to be open and honest about who you are exactly. My favorite verse for the past 20, 10 years regarding leadership and all, regarding other things as well has been Proverbs 25 two. It's a, uh, uh, it's the glory of a king to, the glory of God is to uh, conceal a matter, and it's the glory of a king to search out a matter. That verse is packed with two things that are desperately needed. When people wonder, where is God? Why does he hide himself? Why doesn't he just reveal things? Well, it tells us that Solomon, in his great wisdom, knew that God intentionally not only hid himself and concealed things, but since it's his glory to do so, that means he really wanted us to know that he was hiding things. He puts in neon lights written across the face of the universe. I've hidden things here. And we, it's our responsibility to see how massive that is and say, oh, I'm, I'm going to search out some of those things. That's the true fear of God. That's humility. I, I, God's hidden things. I'm going to search them. But if it's the glory of a king to search a matter out, that means what he's going to put in glory, in neon lights, is the fact that he doesn't know something. But he's going to be responsible to search it out. So when do we see leaders glorying in the fact that they don't know things? When do they ever get up and say, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's happening. They always pretend like they know. And then people think, well, I'm afraid to admit that I don't know something. When a boss doesn't admit he doesn't know something, then the people are afraid that they're going to get punished if they don't know something. In reality, what the true king should be doing is saying, I don't know, but I'm going to search. And, and by exemplifying that, everyone feels safe searching. That's what discipleship is. You know, if people don't hear anything else other than that, wow, this has been worth our time together. Uh, Bill, I'm convinced it is really, really hard to stand up and, and say, I don't know. Um, or even to stand up and say, I am struggling so hard uh, because people have come to church not to hear somebody venting their struggles. And yet I wonder if that might not work sometimes. Um, I suggest, for example, many times the church boards are so into their secrecy. You know, there's a confidentiality. You get into this type of smoke-filled room kind of thing, and people think because they're an elder or because they serve on the rectory that they must be more spiritual. So we're already setting them up for a fall, right? So we have a bad image of what these people are supposed to be. And then they meet in secret and declare these pronouncements, oh, the board has decided, rather than saying, 
you know what? We want you guys to know what we're going to be talking about. Uh, we're meeting Thursday night and we're going to be talking about if we should go a different direction and with children's ministry, or we're working on some leadership questions. Would you pray for us rather than just having people wondering when the pronouncement's going to come down? Does that make sense? Tremendously. I've always told leaders that I'm that in, in companies and whatever, if you don't tell enough of the story to the people that look to you and depend on you and, and serve in this organization, they're going to write their own. They'll fill in the blanks. And it's not going to be the story you want told because people tend to uh, react in fear to the unknown and they'll write a bad story. That's just human nature. By being transparent, we keep the whole tenor much more positive in within among the people. So if I'm struggling, I'm in a church, I'm struggling, I don't know what the board's doing, I'm frustrated with um, decisions that seem to be making being made. I'm thinking these people must be stupid or certainly unspiritual. They're not doing what I would do. What do I do? Well, you you exemplify teachability and a humble attitude. And by exemplifying that, you teach them how to find the truth. It's pretty simple. I mean, if you're just the real person with the people, they're going to just like it better. You know, if you can tell your story with honesty, I, I always think that people in churches who think everything's, they're, they're ashamed to admit that they have an alcohol problem in their family or they have this one or that problem. If they would just go to a recovery meeting or even go down to an AA meeting, but of course you can't get in unless you're an alcoholic. But if they could just see that people being honest is where real life happens, they'd feel much safer just living that out in the, in the congregation where everyone's dressed nice and everyone's smiling. Sometimes we just need to be honest. Even a small group in a modern church has a hard time being really honest with each other. That's a mm -hmm. rare commodity, but it ought to be the hallmark. Oh, Bill, thank, I, I, I just love that. Um, we could go on. I want to say a word before we close, but thank you so much for being here. Um, but before we sign off, I wanted to take a moment to thank a few people who've served on church boards with me, trying to navigate the natural insanity, which seems so inevitable. One is Tori Hurriot. I'm going to name names. He immediately comes to mind. The youngest elder ever elected in all of my churches yet with humility, humility and wisdom ministered to so many over his lifetime. Tory's life of service as a church leader now includes being a strong supporter of my work at Standing Stone, both in prayer and encouragement and being on my support team. Tory, I thank you. I wouldn't have wanted to do life without you. And then there was Fran Mooney. How reluctant he was to be called a deacon. Fran eschewed the spotlight, preferring to get his hands dirty, as he led through service, building a building that provided for the growth of that church four times the size of what it was at the time, he quietly smiled at ridiculous obstacles. And then there was Jim Johnson, another quiet leader. Jim provided an escape for this pastor, encouraging his declining golf game as the stresses of church life threatened to break the soul. In the wonderful letter of First Timothy, we read, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. It's easy to throw stones at church leaders acting poorly, yet the act of service given by those who lead in churches should never be minimized. 
Remember to thank church leaders, giving them double honor. Be effusive in your thanks. If you struggle with their decisions and or style, trust me, they struggle with it far more than you. Finally, if you're asked to join one of those boards, perhaps consider saying yes. If you don't make it less crazy, at least you might be able to explain the craziness to others. It's worth a thought. For Church Hurts and this is John Bash. Go and enjoy God today, won't you? Well, that was worth a thought for sure. And brings us to the end of this edition of Church Hurts and. Next week, it's rumored we'll be walking on the edge of controversy, stirring the pot of denial, and finding movement of the divine. Our host, Dr. John Bash, is a shepherd with Standing Stone, a nonprofit ministry committed to caring for pastors and Christian leaders at risk of leaving the ministry prematurely. Come visit us at churchhurtsand.org. Tell us your story while you're there. Until then, remember, church hurts isn't the end of the story. Now go into the end. Enjoy God today, won't you?